maybe most of us take advice and tips from our friends and our peers or maybe we might read articles about high net worth people and how they made their money but few of us are privileged to connect with and observe the habits of financially successful people on a pretty much a day to day basis well today we have with us mark reeve who is a partner at st james place wealth management and he spent his entire career advising people on how to deploy and invest their money and he's going to give us insights into how financially successful people think about managing money so mark thanks a lot for joining us today would you mind taking a couple of minutes to introduce yourself yeah hey morning alex and uh, firstly thank you very much for uh, inviting me on this morning's podcast uh, very privileged and uh, happy to be here so thank you very much for that and as you say just a bit of background about myself so I moved to Singapore back in uh, 2012 now so uh, it was in the march coming up nearly 10 years uh came here as myself just Singapore as a single guy and uh, Singapore's been very kind to me now married with two young boys so uh wow. it's been a good 10 <laughs> years here so uh yeah things have changed a lot for me <laughs> you mentioned sort of my sort of time in financial services and prior to almost the 10 years here I was at Barclays Bank for 18 years did various roles within Barclays Bank from a UK mortgage advisor, UK financial advisor and ended up my career at Barclays as a private banker managing just over 300 million US dollars. Wow. I was based in the UK but all of my clients lived all around the world so I wasn't looking after UK clients. So I've sort of been lucky enough I suppose in my 20-25 year career from Barclays and now St James's Place you know to help people plan for the future and sort of you know get them thinking about some of the areas that are important for them wow that's actually pretty cool i mean setting up a business or a, a venture which helps others achieve financial freedom is is fantastic and actually we are exactly the same aren't we except uh, for the fact that nobody pays me and honestly very few people listen to me either but <laughs> i suppose a lot of folks listen to you so so do you actually get a lot of people coming to you for advice Yeah I mean I do and I I think sort of the advice I've given over my career has been different in some ways where with Barclays it was people were working sort of coming almost to the bank you know they were familiar with Barclays bank and they would want to open an account had to be certain minimum amount some private banking and then I would engage with them right here in Singapore and St James's place running my own business it, it is different it's more me having to look and work with clients And I would say probably at Barclays Bank I was working with about 200 clients and now here in Singapore being self-employed with St James's Place is about 100 so give or take probably 300 or so people uh, across sort of my career I'd say so far Wow so that's 300 uh, financially successful people that's a lot of dollars and actually a lot of data points also I mean for you so you must really have a lot of insight into how people like this uh, you know relatively more affluent financially successful how they approach their portfolios and uh, speaking just for myself i tend to approach my portfolio with uh, with care in case it bites or yeah. maybe turns into a bunch of zeros but i suppose your clients have no such concerns so so how do they think about money and investing and how is it different from the rest of us Yeah, no, I think to be honest with you, I mean, it's different in some ways, but equally, I would say to be fair to most of the people I've worked with in the past sort of 20 or so years, in some ways they're not too dissimilar to yourself. Nobody likes to be bitten when the sort of see the markets <laughs> go down. And I think part of that is they have an understanding of markets. 
the fear of somebody losing money is far greater than the enjoyment that they see it going up on an annual basis. Ah, okay. And I think that's some of the understanding that more financially successful people have. And I think that they, they tend to engage in a few different key strategies. And that helps them be successful in either managing their wealth or creating their wealth. And I think different people are at different ventures and stages in their life. Some are starting off in sort of their careers and sort of more on that career journey and trying to build some wealth. Some of my other clients are sort of more to the latter end of their careers and stages and planning for sort of retirement. And if I was going to break it down into three areas, I think that the first area that most of the people I've engaged with in the past is that they have a plan on where they want to get to and then they review it regularly. Right. Now, sometimes for those people, when I first speak to them, they might not actually have a plan because, you know, if I look at myself when I was in my early 20s, being when I'm 60, 65, see many years away. So I didn't have a plan at that point, but I think that is part of my role when I work with people. And even if they decide not to be a client of mine, but just get them to think about the future and what are some of the things they have to plan for. I think then if you've got a plan, the successful people, you know, they will look to take advice from people. They may not always implement it, but I think just doing some research and understanding what is out there in the markets and what are some of the opportunities is very important. And I mentioned, you know, about the fear of people losing monies and having to understand how markets work over the longer term. And whether that's investment markets, property markets, you know, we've seen crypto and the volatility in those markets, you know, they can each work in different ways. But sometimes, or not sometimes, I'd say most of the times, it's trying to take away the emotion of investing and think about it in a rational manner. And I think those financial successful people, those three areas are critical to help them longer term for the future. Yeah, okay. So honestly, based on what you're saying, I can already see why they are more successful than others. Uh, in fact, I would say having and sticking, more importantly, to a plan is easier said than done. Yet it's it's so important, isn't it? And I think that is the key thing. But when you can stick to the plan on what's going on in your life and you can understand how markets are going to move, that will definitely make it a lot easier when you're trying to manage your finances. Yeah. And I touched upon already, you know, people are at different stages in their life at times. And, you know, it's very rare I meet somebody who is fresh out of university and they're thinking about sort of when they're 65 in retirement. If anything, it's a balance in life. You don't want to sort of plan straight away when you're 25 and have no enjoyment sort of through your early careers and be focusing fully on the future. Equally, you don't want to be leaving it till you're sort of 45 or 50 and you've had a great first 20 odd years to your life, but not given any thought or preparation to the future. And I, I think this is one of the things that frustrates me in some ways with the whole world that we live in. You know, there's a lot of focus when we're at school on education and sort of moving through to universities and our careers. But there's no real sort of guidance, I suppose, through schooling and university, or even a lot of parents don't give it, of sort of developing good habits with money. And I think that is one of the essential things that happened. And I don't know whether it was more luck for myself, but I remember when I got my first part-time job when I was young, my mum used to take some money off me uh, for board that I thought she was keeping but she was actually putting it on one side and gave it to me back when I bought my first property. Hmm, nice. And actually that I was surprised about, but it also taught me a good lesson about 
when we first get our first paycheck, from earning nothing to having your first paycheck is a big jump. Yeah. And actually, I got used to saving about 10% of that first paycheck. <laughs> okay. And actually developing those good habits over the longer term when you're young and following that through as our careers grow, that can have a massive impact on just sort of the growth, the wealth that we can accumulate over the longer term. And I think starting with those good habits can be very good for the longer term. I see a lot of people with good intentions, as you mentioned, to plan for the future. Life gets busy, there can be distractions that come along, whether it's you know marriage, kids, I've got two young boys. But equally, some of those distractions can be times that we have to refocus ourselves and revisit that initial plan that we started to look at. Are we on track? Are we off track? Do we need to make any changes? And sort of trying to help people manage their finances over the longer term is something that's very important to be doing. Yeah, so actually, this is a really valuable point, Mark, because a lot of people wonder why one needs to have a financial advisor, let's say, because they could just uh, DIY their own money. And, uh, you know, much of my podcast itself is about educating people, so they could, in theory, DIY their money. But fact is that financial advisors such as yourself play an important role in success because it's essentially that, it's sticking to the plan and also giving, you know, more options and maybe a, a different perspective. And actually speaking of that, you did mention that financially successful people are open to advice, even if they don't act on it. So what does that mean? Yeah, everybody needs advice at different stages in their life. You know, whether it's for wealth management, certain people, tax planning opportunities. And I suppose that's one of the advantageous things in Singapore, that we don't have to worry about capital gains tax on a lot of our investments, inheritance taxes. But, you know, clients living in the US, UK, there are different aspects of wealth creation that we need to think about. And it's not necessarily that you're going to implement all of that advice straight away. But thinking about some of those key areas and sometimes having somebody to challenge you to think about them can be important key points. I might speak to people and there could be three or four areas that they need to consider, but it's a lot to try and have the bandwidth to do all at one time. So it's sort of identifying, you know, is buying a property their priority? And then we might need to look at life insurance and mortgages. And maybe 18 months, a few years down the line, it's the investment side of things. And I think taking that advice to think where are you at currently with your finances? Where can you get to? And how can you get there is important. But I certainly don't expect that every single person that I meet is going to implement the recommendations that I make straight away. And I think that is the key benefit to me not being at Barclays Bank anymore, rather being at St. James's Place. Banks are good, but equally, you know, we're sitting on October now, they can be incentivized that if they sell some products, some investments, it impacts their bonuses. Right, right. For me, that is irrelevant today with people I speak to. I'm building and running my own business. And what I want to do is develop a long-term trusted relationship with people. And I think that is one of the fundamental differences. So if I was talking to you, Amit, and you considered buying a property or investing with me, I might give you different advice depending on your circumstance. And what I mean by that, as an example, if you have three properties, I might say maybe you should think of some diversification. If you'd already built up a significant investment portfolio but didn't have any properties, as much as it might be talking myself out of business, I would probably be saying, you know what, having some property makes sense to balance out what you've already got. Okay. And I think that is where if people can take advice, trust the individual and build that relationship longer term, 
I think they're more likely to become financially successful and independent. Now, equally, I do accept that there are some people you mentioned about the DIY platforms, and yeah, I actually have no problem with those DIY platforms. I think they're very good, and I actually utilize one myself for some of my own investments and some James's place manage them. And I think if individuals have the ability to manage all of their own assets, investments, and wealth themselves, a DIY platform will come at a lower cost than it is from taking advice. And if they build sufficient wealth that in 20 years' time they're financially secure, they can pay for kids' uni, retire, or whatever their goals are, and they can achieve it themselves, that's brilliant. I do probably find that 95% of people I meet are happy to manage 50, 100, or a couple of hundred thousand dollars themselves. But if they're trying to get to managing, you know, a couple of million or more, then maybe that's where doing some of their own DIY investing, people like to do that, and I would never talk them out of it. But taking that professional advice to get them thinking about things they might not have, you know, tax implications, if they move countries, jurisdictions, you know, if markets fall, again, we I can mention at the beginning, not being paralyzed by fear, sometimes that's an opportunity. So I do think most successful financial people tend not to manage all of their wealth themselves. And if we think of the uber wealthy, they will definitely be having sort of tax advisors, accountancies, you know, private bankers, wealth managers. And I think having a combination, you don't want 10 different people that you've got to manage your wealth <laughs> from. But yeah. having two or three is probably for most people better than trying to do it all themselves. But you know, I, I think it's an open and honest conversation. And if I meet somebody who says, Mark, I'm managing it all myself, paying low fees, and I'm doing very well. You know, I'm more than comfortable that I don't have to try and oversell St. James's Place. I hope that they continue doing that. They might come back to me in the future or they may not. So uh, I think that's the benefit of taking advice and then people can make decisions for themselves whether they want to act on that advice or not. Yeah, so this is also very interesting because I think, at least speaking for myself, I used to think of it as you either go through a financial advisor, work through a financial advisor, or you do it yourself. But essentially what you're saying is that you could be doing some of it yourself or all of it yourself up to a point. Yep. And then uh, maybe you you partner with somebody who knows what they're doing and has a broader perspective and they can deal with the rest, which I think is actually quite an interesting thought process. Uh, you also mentioned something about uh, advice from banks and insurance agents, etc. Like the kind of people who are on a commission. So what's your suggestion there? Like, is it that if you know what you want, then you should go to these places for getting that thing executed? Or how do you think one should actually work with banks and so on? Yeah, I think the key thing, whether you're working with a bank, a financial advisor, a wealth manager, or whoever it is, I would always say, you know, unless it's been a recommendation from a family member or friend, you know, before you act on any advice, just go and get some comparable advice from one or two other areas. And it does take a little bit of time on people's own behalves to, you know, go and do that research and due diligence. But don't just take the first piece of advice that you're given from a bank or financial advisor or even myself at St. James's Place to be the only way. And I think what it is about is it's trying to ensure that the person that is giving you the advice, are they being open and transparent with you? I see a lot of times people talk about certain fees and charges linked to investment but not about other fees and charges. So it is trying to understand that full level of transparency. Equally, the person that's giving you the advice, have they enacted on that advice themselves? So can they give you some confidence that what I'm advising you, Mr. Client or potential client, 
I'm doing this myself and here I am. I, I think those couple of points are the important things when you're engaging with a bank is to ask them some challenging questions because sometimes they can just see that you've got money on your bank account and they're just trying to look short term and sell you a product associated to that capital that's in the account. Right. For me, it's not that I'm trying to capture somebody's wider wealth, but for me to understand what they have rather than just what's isolated in their account helps me give more holistic advice. And I mentioned earlier, you know, if somebody's got three properties and no properties, well, you might give different advice, you know, tax considerations. So I, I think it's just taking your time when you're engaging with a bank or anybody to make sure that you get that advice. Right. Okay. So uh, thanks for that, Mark. I think that's a sensible approach. And you also mentioned at the start about financially successful people appreciating markets better than maybe uh, other people or those who might be more focused on quick wins. So what's that about markets that they appreciate better? Yeah, when you look at markets, I think if people have short-term outlook in markets, that to me is almost where they're trading themselves. And whether that's on equities, it could crypto, foreign currencies, for the clients that I've tended to work with over the last 20 years, and those that have especially been more successful, they will tend to have longer term outlooks and they're looking at investing for their longer term financial security rather than short term trading. Now, again, it doesn't mean that some of my clients haven't done short term trading with 10 or 20% of their wealth, but they have that longer term understanding of where markets are at. And a good example is with all of my clients in March and April last year, I was doing a lot of hand-holding for them, going, look, don't panic. You know, the world is in an expected place with COVID. And to be fair, I'd have, I'd have probably been saying to them last year that we'd be out of it by now, but uh, we seem a long way from being out of it at the moment. But, you know, they understood that markets were down. And, you know, my own investment with St. James's Place, my clients' investments could have been down 15 or 20%. Right. And it's important not to panic at that stage make sure you've got your cash for short-term liquidity so you don't have to sell your investments when markets are against you and we know if you remain invested and do not panic markets will have recovered i think if anything people are surprised by how much they've recovered from covid yeah exactly and you know my clients ask me now is now the right time to put more monies in is there going to be another correction and i'm honest with clients i go i genuinely don't know the only thing that I can guarantee in the next 20 to 30 years, anybody that is invested in markets, be that stocks, shares, bonds, equities, mutual funds, ETFs, we will experience at least one, possibly two or three further corrections. And not panicking and withdrawing monies during those corrections and being able to see your way through is how you will actually see your wealth perform well. And I think this is one of the key points that I missed out on uh, earlier in one of the questions you asked me, that successful people tend to keep a track of how their investments have performed. And I think that is hugely important in being helping somebody rationalise when markets are volatile. If you invested in February last year with me, and then within two months your portfolio is down 20%, that would not feel great. Now, if somebody had been a client of mine since 2007, the global financial crisis came along of 2008 and 9. You know, they would have had that exact same pain as they'd have had last year. Right. But then if they'd have kept track of their investments and actual fact saw, yet markets fell 20%, they fell 18%. But in the next seven years, they rose and I'm up 
When the second correction comes, actually the pain doesn't feel quite as bad as what it was for, if that's your first experience. And I think sometimes people have that bad experience of markets going down. When it recovers, they withdraw their monies and they sort of get afraid to invest again. And I think, you know, if somebody bought a property today and it fell 10, 15%, it wouldn't feel great, but you wouldn't sell it two years later when it recovers. Right. And I think that's the whole understanding of investments, investing for the longer term, is trying to understand how markets work. And, you know, some of my clients last year in March and April were putting more monies into the markets. They didn't know would it fall further, but it was an opportunity. And I think that's the key thing that sometimes working with an advisor, be it a bank, financial advisor or myself, they can stop you making wrong decisions. They can give you reassurance. And that over, you know, I'm 45, so I've got hopefully another 40 years ahead of me. I accept my monies will go through different phases, but you've got to try and sort of keep on track and not lose faith, I suppose, of where markets and what they will do over the longer term. Right. Actually, your property example is really good. I haven't actually ever connected these two things. So you're absolutely right. If somebody buys a property, unless of course they're buying it to flip it or something like that, they stick to it. Even if markets are down, up or whatever, because they don't look at, they don't mark their property price to market every day. Correct. And so therefore you you buy it, you forget about it, and then you, you sell it or you live in it uh, in future. Whereas with markets, because you always have this data point going on like basically 24-7, yeah. you're much more likely to feel emotional about what's happening and then uh, sell and probably sell at just the wrong time or buy at just the wrong time. So it's interesting because you actually put a lot more money into property, but you panic a lot less. Correct. <laughs> and I think people have an inherent comfort factor with property going. We look back over the last 20 or 30 years and I look at my parents in the UK, you know, they bought a house for £20,000 in the 60s and it's probably worth half a million pound now. Right. So you tend to have a more connection with property. And what I don't have a connection with is what my dad's pension was when he was at Lloyds Bank all of his life <laughs> and what it grew to. And I think that's the same with, it's slightly different in Singapore with CPF because most people have it sort of in the two, 4%. But if we're looking at UK pensions, US 401k pensions, Australian superannuations, again, a lot of my clients bury their heads in their sands when it comes to sort of company employee pension. I'm 30, 35, 40, 45. I can't touch it for another 20 years. So I tend not to look at the valuations that come through. Yeah. And in some ways that serves them well because they don't make a rash decision on things. Now, I still say to those clients, you still should review those investments to make sure you're in the right funds and things like that. But it is very different when somebody has issued a check or transferred money from their bank account to go into an investment rather than a property because you can look at that valuation 24-7 on your phone. You start panicking if it's up or down or up or down a couple of percent. And it's trying to educate yourself in the longer term. The power of compound growth, which isn't great in the first five to 10 years, is huge when you start looking at years 20, 30, 40. But it's very difficult for somebody to have that long-term outlook with investments, even a DIY investor, Whereas with properties, it's sort of second nature to us, I think, longer term. And I think these are some of the good habits that people need to try and pick up on longer term is understanding the power of compound growth. Start saving at a young age, even if it's a small amount, get into good habits. Accept that there will be times where our investments fall in value, whether that's property, stocks and shares. But longer term, when you look at your total wealth, Having a plan, reviewing it and trying to stick to it 
will put 99% of people in a very good situation for when it comes to those important years in life that if we've been earning for 30 years and getting used to a paycheck that comes into your bank account every month, we have security from that. It's amazing the worry it can bring when you're five years out from retirement going, what happens when that monthly salary stops going into the bank account and you've got to be self-sufficient? And it all comes back into that planning phase. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with my clients at sort of my age, 40, 45, doing what-if scenarios, looking at the wealth that they have today. What does that grow to over the next 15, 20 years? And if they start drawing income at 60, do they run out of money when they're 76 or does it last until they're 88 or they never run out of money? And if they're going to run out of money at 76, maybe they've got to make another investment property, put more money in the pot or don't retire at 60, retire at 65. And just trying to paint some of those pictures is very useful for understanding where are you today and where do you want to get to in the future? And it comes back to exactly then the point we spoke about earlier about, I don't think banks are bad per se, but they'll just look at how much money do you have in your bank account and can I sell you a product? And sometimes when we think of investing like that, if you happen to invest at the wrong time when markets were high, it can sort of hamper you from investing in the future. If you can develop a relationship with somebody or understand markets, I put $100,000 myself into a St. James's in place investment at the beginning of October. It could fall 15% in the coming months, but I'm not going to touch it for the next 15, 20 years. And I'll accept I'll invest sometimes when markets are high. I'll invest sometimes when markets are low, but I'm 100% confident that I will do better than leaving money cash in the bank, getting next to no interest. And I think that's the sort of planning diversification that we all need to try and achieve in our lives and should bring some success and stability to us. Yeah, actually, you know, you mentioned the point about retirement and, you know, the what if scenarios and what happens if, you know, once your paycheck stops coming in. But actually, in today's world and for many of our listeners, it's not about retirement at 60, 65. It's actually about, uh, you know, I've, I've been earning for some time. Now I want to be an, you know, independent freelancer or I want to, you know, run a business of my own or just be, you know, live that, uh, you know, part work, part, uh, you know, enjoyment sort of a life. So for such people, the whole concept of what we at our age, I guess, call retirement planning, I guess there needs to be a new name for it now. But it is exactly that kind of planning, which is if I'm not getting my full salary every month, how am I going to sustain myself? And so therefore, it applies even for somebody who's maybe 30, 35 now, not just someone who's 60, 65. I agree totally. And when I'm talking with people, I never refer to it as retirement planning, you know, My father worked at Lloyds Bank all of his life and he was very lucky to have a guaranteed pension that he didn't contribute into and he retired on two thirds of his salary. That nowadays isn't around for us and we have to be self-sufficient. So for me, it's not about what age do I want to retire at or when I'm talking to people, it's more about what age do you want to be financially independent at. And I think it's that that then gives us choices in the future that, you know, if somebody reaches 50-55 and they're enjoying the corporate world that they're in and the role that they're doing, well, great, they can continue. There was a guy when I was at Barclays Bank called Pierre, and he was in his mid-60s, hated coming into work every day, but for whatever reason in his life, he just didn't have enough money behind him that he had to, that he could stop working. And I think, you know, when we're in our 30s, if you'd have asked me when I was 30, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have even seen myself in Singapore. So there can be lots of changes, but trying to get to that position where we're financially secure and if at 45 somebody wants to set up their own business or step out of the corporate world and do some contracting, I think having capital behind you 
to allow you to make some of those choices makes that step a lot easier versus if you're 45 and you've done well in your career and you've got a decent salary, it can be quite a difficult decision for a lot of people to step away and give up that salary to go contracting unless you've got some capital wealth and investments behind you to support that transition. And I think that's some of the planning and conversations that I have with my clients on just what ifs. And you know, a lot of those what ifs might never happen, but it's just about thinking about options and what the future may hold for you. Yeah. Wow, Mark, this has been uh, really insightful and uh, I, I really appreciate your time. And I think at least for myself, I've developed a better understanding of a few things. So one is, of course, uh, how do the financially successful think? And it seems like it's not just the planning, it's the ability to stick to a plan based on taking advice, based on understanding the markets and just having you know a level of discipline that yeah. maybe some others don't have. And the other thing is the fact that you know you can actually work as a DIY investor, but also, you know, uh, a portion, a portion of your uh, portfolio to somebody who knows what they're doing and, you know, can help you with it. So financial advisor and so on. So I think this has been uh, excellent, very insightful for me. I, I actually think it's going to be quite uh, helpful for our listeners as well. And before we end for today, just a, a treat for our listeners. So Mark, uh, thank you very much for kindly offering to answer questions about money and finances from our listeners. So folks, if you... Pleasure. Yeah, thanks a lot. So folks, if you'd like to get some advice from the guy who advises millionaires, <laughs> please click the link in the episode description for instructions and uh, Mark will uh, get back to you. So thanks a lot, Mark. And that's it for today. So this is Money Talk and you were listening to us, Mark Reeve, who's partner with St. James Place Wealth Management in conversation with myself, Amit Ray. See you next time.